Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi there, it's Annika. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Speak Up. The Speech Pathology Australia National Conference is a real highlight on the Australian Speech Pathology Annual Calendar. And after having the 2020 conference postponed and the 2021 conference delivered virtually due to our friend COVID, it is so exciting (laughs) that we will be back with a face-to-face conference in my hometown of Melbourne in May. We have been so lucky to have had some incredible conference keynote speakers in recent years. This year, I'm so pleased that one of our own homegrown speech pathology gems will be delivering not only a keynote presentation, but also a masterclass and workshop. Dr. Jo Watson is a speech pathologist, researcher and lecturer in disability. She is course director of the Postgraduate Disability and Inclusion course at Deakin University. And for regular listeners of the podcast, you will be familiar with Jo as she did a brilliant job hosting a panel episode about oral health in early March. Today, though, she will be on the other side of the microphone. Thank you so much for joining me, Jo. Oh, thank you, Annika. It's lovely to be here. Um, and having a chat today. Well, really I'm nice very much here. looking forward to chatting with you and getting a bit of a taste of your keynote address and your workshop and masterclass today. But I would love to start by asking you all about your speech pathology journey, how it started and where it's taken you. Oh, how did I get here? Oh, how did I get exactly. here? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess my journey to this point, it's its rather long. Um, I'll try and condense it for you, Annika. Um Indulge, indulge. Indulge, okay, well. (laughs) Um, So I began studying speech pathology at the Lincoln Institute of Health Sciences back in 1988, so I'm showing my age there, even referring to Lincoln. My goodness. I went to Lincoln too, Joe. I went to Lincoln too. You went. For a little bit, for a little bit. (laughs) Lovely. Oh, good. So you will remember how much fun we had in that building on Swanson Street. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess I can mention the Canada across the road where we often would have have some of our (laughs) tutorials. For those non-Melburnians, um, the Canada was a, was a pub that no longer is there anymore. But we had we had a lot of fun um, in those days, and um, I graduated from from Lincoln, then Latrobe. So in the fourth year, I think it became Latrobe. So mm-hmm. um, so I did graduate from from Latrobe, and I guess how did I get there? I um, I was 
raised in a family, I guess, that's, you know, got some pretty strong values of social justice and inclusion. I have a sister with an intellectual disability and she's also blind. Um, and mum now has a spinal cord injury, so um, mm. um, has quadriplegia. So, so sort of disability has certainly been very much a part of my life Um and I, I I don't identify as having someone with, as having a disability, but I certainly um, uh, it's it's certainly a big part of my world. Mm. Um, yeah. So so as a kid, I always wanted to work, I guess, in the community sector, and I literally pulled speech pathology out of a hat. I put you know all of the allied health in a hat. You know what was it? Physio and even podiatry, I think. OT podiatry. Um, OT put the. <laughs> them all in and um and got speech pathology it came out three times so off to Lincoln I went lucky for us yeah and from there um so I think I graduated in 91 um and I went down to Tassie my first job was at St Giles um in Launceston uh and that was then an institution and a school for little ones with with very significant disability um, and really I was thrown into a team of um, I was really thrown into the deep end I was 21 I think and very very green but I had some amazing allied health professionals around me um, I was the only speechy but um, but that was that was I had such a lovely time and mm. looking back I can't I can't thank the particularly the families and the children that I worked with um, who I provided support to at the time because I genuinely think that they gave me far more than I gave Mm. them in terms of my knowledge of of communication and complex communication needs. Mm. And set you up then though. Yeah. pathway. Absolutely. And then that pathway, when did we end up? Then I came across back to Melbourne. Um, and got a job in uh, at Urella in Borwin, mm-hmm. which is a um, suburb in in Melbourne, um, and Glenroy. And so I worked there for a little while with some amazing speeches and my interest in augmentative and alternative communication really um, took off. I got to work with some incredible speeches um, I should, I can name them, can't yes, I? Yes, you I was can thinking, name drop, name drop. I'll name sure. them out because, you know, they're, they're people that really have um, helped me and moulded my career and my interests mm. and I, I don't want to forget anyone. But, no. but you know, Genevieve Tierney, I'm not sure even where Jen is these days and hopefully she might be listening, but but she was um, uh, an amazing um, mentor and colleague. People like Donna O'Keefe again. Um not sure if Donna's still practicing, but Kim McGee, um, Polly Morgan, there were some amazing speeches that um, that worked at that time at, at Urella and it was it was a nice, fun place to be. But then from there, um, I ended up at what we what was then called Community Services Victoria. Again, I'm showing my age. Um, and I had uh, te- I led a team of speeches. And my role there was to lead that team um, who worked in the northern metropolitan region with people with intellectual disability. So um, 
they were the people that we were supporting then. They were living in institutions, Janefield and Kingsbury, so it was an interesting mm. time. Um, and I think that's where my love of, of working with people with very complex and high support needs began. Um, mm. I had a wonderful team of speeches. Again, you know, people... Um, we had so we had good times. I'm thinking back to these as I'm talking to you, Annika. I'm thinking about oh. the the you know reminiscing yeah, about the fun so times. Nice. Yeah, Lucia Smith. She was a wonderful speech. Well, she still is a wonderful speechy. Um, Katie Peters and Tisha Meany was there, and we yeah, we had a lot yes. some some good times. Um, yeah, yeah. I worked with Tisha and as well. It's I remember to, you yeah, did. to hear yes. her name again that it was. Yes. It was so fun. Yeah. Tisha, if you're listening, give us a buzz. We'd love to <laughs> Absolutely. I remember you working with Tish. Yeah. 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 And then where did you head from there? So um look from there I went to uh Urella. I went back to Urella because um with Jeff Kennett's austerity measures uh, in the mid-90s. Our team was dismantled. So I moved back to Urella and I worked with um, the FCOS, Functional Communication Outreach mm. Service, um, with Heather Cullen and Cathy Basterfield. Andrew McQueen was there for a bit. And um, uh, you weren't there, were you, Annika? No, I no. stayed at, I stayed at, yeah, in the government sector for yes, a lot longer yes. than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I do remember that. And of course, then um, we Karen Bloomberg came to exactly, to work yeah. with us, and that was um, such a special time to be able to be mentored and work alongside the amazing, late and great mm. Karen. Yeah, she was incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So that was Urella and. In that time, also, I think it's I think it's probably important to talk about at this point, because you know you have some of those amazing times in your career, those light bulbs that that um, happen. And in that time, Pat Miranda came and visited. I'm not sure if you remember, and she's a um, speech and psychologist from Canada, and she really convinced me, really convinced me that communication is universal. And mm. we went from this almost candidature model of um, speech therapy, where we um, really only provide, particularly in the in the government sector, where we really only provide services to people who were were formal um, or or intentional communicators. Mm. Um, and Pat Miranda, she convinced me that that was not okay. Um, and I'll never forget a phrase that she said and. Goodness, we're talking 30 years almost. I still remember. And she said, if you breathe, you communicate. And yeah. um, that's just such a simple uh, phrase, but it, it's just stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. Was, um, yeah. Oh, good. So, yeah, so there's still more. I'm not sure. No, because you've ended up in the university sector, so there is still more. <laughs> How did I get there? How did you get there? Um, yes. So after FCOS, I moved to Hong Kong with um, my husband Andy and I worked in various schools and private practice with kids, um, mainly in AAC. Um, and after a couple of years there, we actually had a competition as to who was going to get the um, the first job and it could be anywhere in the world. And um, 
Andy won. So off we went to Philadelphia in Pennsylvania and oh, wow. were there for another four or five years or so, four years, I think. Um, we both worked at Temple University. I was at the Institute on Disabilities um, uh, at Temple and my role there was predominantly to do a little bit of teaching but to focus on um, AAC and I was really lucky enough to be involved in the ACES program which is a program that was probably one of the first um, live-in uh not a camp, we probably didn't call it a camp, but but people who, who used AAC came from all over the world and we spent two weeks together um, really nutting out what, what their communication looked like and how we might be able to support them. So that was very exciting times yeah, and I got to work with some incredible practitioners. Um, and during that time I volunteered with the Pennsylvania's abolitionists against the, the death penalty. Um, I felt still feel very strongly about the death penalty as a social justice issue and mm. my role was to support people with intellectual disability on death row and um, oh, mental sure. retardation. Wow. Yeah, it was um I met some amazing people, some incredible people who'd, you know, given up their life for the cause and mm. um uh very very lucky to um to have met them but it certainly was a baptism of fire for this um very confronting at the same time yeah it really was you know for this privileged um girl from <laughs> from melbourne um to see the incredible and such deep inequities that exist mm. um particularly in well in this case in the justice system um and how you know that cascade of disadvantage can can result in people being ending up mm. in in a place like death row, um, yeah, and being executed for something that perhaps they never even did. Deep but that's a whole nother story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How fascinating, um, though, Joe. Yeah, yeah, that were interesting times. Then back in. About 2001, just before September, well, we, we left Pencil Philadelphia um, in the January and got back just before September 11 um, because we, we just packed everything up into this little old car we had and um, spent about six months driving across the US and um, ended up back home um, in Melbourne where I started working at Scope and, um, well, Spastic Society of Victoria then, and I was there mm -hmm. for... 14 years which was wonderful and again got to work with incredible people um dr melinda smith who is an aac user and many of you will will know um i worked with rob o'halloran then and denise west and Teresa arcano was there for a while and um sheridan foster um yeah some really great people janice yeah, buckland wow. Megan Walsh. Oh, now Megan's one of my PhD students now, so that's really nice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, people like Marnie Cameron and Bron Jones, those kind of, the, all those people. But I think the people that I really want to shout out to all the, is, you know, Hilary Johnson and, Cal and Karen Bloomberg who mm, yeah. really, you know, really changed practice. Again, for me, um, people like Hill and Karen, um, Pat Miranda, um, they really changed my thinking 
Yeah. And, and others. Yeah. They were trailblazers, really, in they the field. Really, were. really mm. absolutely. Um, and really sort of in, I remember Karen encouraging me to go on and, and do a PhD, which I did um, uh, at Deakin um, while I was still at Scope. And um, Jeff Chan, who's a speechy as well, who's um, who was then the Victorian officer, well, he was the senior practitioner at the office of the senior um at Office of the Senior Practitioner, oh, isn't it? I can't yes. remember the name of it. Something yes. like that. Yeah, <laughs> through, through the government yes. department, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he um he was heading up um, the Office of the Senior Practitioner then, and and she believed in a project that I'd pitched to him. So he um not him, but the department um funded my PhD, um and it was around focusing on people with severe and profound intellectual disability in terms of their autonomy. And we were particularly interested in what um, that looked like, particularly in terms of behaviours of concern. So that was mm. um, that was nice. And then I joined Deakin and um, uh, although it's not a speech path department I'm in, you know, it was Sue Ballenden was my boss for a long time there and Kate Anderson is still there. So it's um, our little team is very much... Um, uh, speechy driven I reckon mm. so that's really nice oh Joe, that was so fascinating to listen to some amazing <laughs> people that you have worked with that's incredible yeah. and what that's a journey I love listening to people's journeys of where they've got to today it's so interesting and it's certainly um, your journey lends itself so beautifully to what you are presenting at the conference absolutely but before we jump into some of what you're actually going to talk about I did want to ask you about our theme for the conference this year which is beyond borders so I'm really interested in your thoughts given um, the disability context that you have massive expertise in what what does that theme mean to you oh Annika I love the theme it's so it's so now isn't it yeah absolutely um, yeah it's it's so now and I've been I have been thinking about it um and in terms of you know, what we're going to be talking about at the conference. For people with disability, and I think particularly for people with very complex communication and support needs um, that really have been my focus, you know, that, those concepts of borders, of boundaries, you know, lines in the sand, they're a part of their everyday reality. There's, mm. there's, you know, always this conversation when I might go into a group home or I talk to supporters or, or uh, you know, we have these conversations. There's always this notion, well, they're a little different. They're, mm. you know, this group, uh, you know, you could try this strategy, but it really wouldn't work for them. Yeah, they're they're yes. in a different category. Um, yeah. They're too often, you know, put, put in that too hard basket um, yeah. And they're too often uh, having to jump through hoops to to prove their um, their right to communicate. Mm. So I think the theme for me um, really highlights that big chasm. You know, there's mm. border. There is a border here. Yes. Yep. And I, and I also think we can't 
I mean, have you heard about this global pandemic that's going on? <laughs> well, I've heard about open borders <laughs> in the context of a pandemic. I think they're open again now. <laughs> yes, very much open. So come to Melbourne. Our borders are open, everyone. We're well and truly um, open. <laughs> we want you in May. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the global pandemic, I think, you know, the pandemic has known no boundaries. You know, it's reached mm. every nation on the globe. And it's impacted all walks of life. But but I think, once again, um, there's a gigantic chasm in terms of access for um, people with disability in terms of information, healthcare, vaccines, the antiviral drugs, um, financial mm. supports. So, you know, there there is this chasm or this border, I guess, again, and I, I think that that's... Um, very much speaks to the to the theme. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I know that in your keynote address, Joe, you will certainly be challenging us to think beyond our borders in regards yeah. to working with people who communicate informally. And I, I believe um, your actual address is about supported decision making for exactly. um, people with complex communication needs. Now, I think most speech pathologists would say, yes, that is very important for us to be supporting that. But I would like you, though, in, in your words, to explain to us why, as speech pathologists, we should be so interested in enhancing the autonomy and decision-making capacity for people with an intellectual disability? Okay, great question. Um, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, firstly, it's the law. We've signed mm. the and ratified the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities um, and we did that in 2008 um, as a nation. So um, and what the CRPD or the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, specifically Article 12, um, tells us is that we have an unequivocal obligation to make sure that all people are given the human right of autonomy. So um, it really has, the convention has instigated this paradigm shift and it's where supported decision-making has come from. So if we think about... Um, uh, that idea of autonomy, of universal autonomy, of everybody having a right to self-determination, at the core of those concepts is communication, mm. okay? So um, it's uh, and at the core of um, so not only that I'll go back a little bit when I was, uh, I spoke about the CRPD, but I also, I think we, we can't not talk about the NDIS. At the centre of the NDIS are these concepts of choice and control and self-determination. Mm -hmm. They'd have to be hiding under a rock <laughs> to not realise or, or to have not heard those notions in the NDIA's rhetoric around, mm -hmm. um, around the, the um, scheme. So at the centre of those things, these legisl legislative pieces, the NDIS and um, the CRPD, are these is this concept of, of self-determination and at the centre of self-determination is communication. Yeah. Um, and so therefore we really, as species, are so well-placed, so well-placed to um, provide support to assist people to have their voices not only heard but acknowledged and mm, um, interpreted. 
yeah, mm. and responded to. And mm. that's something that, that I'm going to unpack um, at the conference next month uh, a, a little more around what does that look like to really, what is our role there to really um, to to respond to people's expressions of will and preference how can we do that as practitioners yeah, absolutely the how part is the question I'm so fascinated to listen to you chat through Joe, because I'm yeah. you know I feel like as speeches we are 110% on board with why yeah. we need to do this absolutely but the how I think is what catches us a little bit that's right I think it does because you know we often these those those terms like it's not rocket science you know they roll off the tongue it is mm. rocket science it's mm. really really hard and mm. um that's a message that I'd really want to get across that if you are struggling to work with this population that is okay um what we know is that when we come together and we do things collaboratively and we try and work out um, strategies and solutions collaboratively, we're more likely to get there. So um, you're not alone if you are struggling in this space. Um, there's some really terrific practitioners who are doing great work in this area. Here in Australia, Sheridan Forster, um, a big fan of her work, and she's doing some great, great work around truly listen, listening to people that, you know, we think had rarely heard. Meredith mm. Prane. Um, yep. So there's some some great work being done and um, I'm really looking forward to sharing Absolutely. that with, with you all. Well, yeah. And I'm looking forward to learning it too, Joe. <laughs> now, I know that um, one of your workshops, because you are presenting a couple, a masterclass and a workshop, I'm not sure of the exact yeah. terms, but is looking at participatory action research in this population. Yeah. And I know there was a couple of, when I was reading through your abstract, a couple of um I guess, methodologies that you had mentioned, and I would love you to chat through what they mean. So one was about yeah. co-design and one was about co-production. And I'd love yeah. to know, yeah, what they mean and, and how do you use them when you're engaging people with complex communication needs um, in in research, yeah, in action yeah. research? <laughs> yep. And look, it's certainly an area that is emerging and it's so exciting. Um it stems from that mantra, you know, that disability mantra, nothing about us without us. So it's about um, uh, research and practice that really and genuinely and authentically strives to hear the voices of, of the people whose research it is about, the, who is yeah. who are the focus of the research. And if we look at that word co-design, that's... It, quite literally means collaborative co-design, mm -hmm. um, participatory yeah. action, research, co-production, co um, collaborative. And they're all methodologies that, you know, researchers like me sometimes, you know, we we use them interchangeably and that's that's okay. Um, uh, they're, they're methodologies that actively engage um, a range of people involved in, you know, whether that's an issue that they're facing or, you know, um, a process and involves people at all stages of the research project. So that's about, you know, is it even rather than a researcher in their ivory tower coming up with a research question, 
that they think might be nice. Mm. Let's think about how that research, how, is this something that is relevant to the people who it's going to be about? Then designing how we're going to do that. And we have lots of different strategies that I'll share with you around that. One of the things that we're playing around more and more with, obviously not for people with, with very profound intellectual disability, but for AAC users, um, I have a research assistant at the moment who has been involved in the uh, a research project all along the um, the uh, process. Generally, what happens in these um, with these kinds of projects is that we do our best, and then we get to the analysis stage, and we go, "Well, you know, that's that's just all too hard." But um, what we're doing with this project is really working hard to do the analysis together with. Mm-hmm. Um, with a number of AAC users who who are um, uh, learning those analysis skills, what we're doing is is we're we're also developing um, uh, building capacity around research skills. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll be employing lots more people with complex communication mm, needs in the absolutely. university sector down the track. That's fantastic, Joe. That's just awesome. Yeah. And I could also see that what you're describing would apply to other clinical populations as well, yeah. I think. But yeah, it sounds Absolutely. fantastic. One other thing I wanted to say around that is, you know, I think it's something that speeches do naturally. That's what we do. We collaborate. We work with other people to, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes in areas that are, that are messy, you know, sometimes we don't know what we're going into and we um, collaborate and we facilitate and we don't know what the end result's going to be. And I think that that's a real skill that we have. Mm. Um, and, you know, someone once said to me, uh, we were, well, just recently we were talking about the messiness of co-design and, co- and participatory research. Um, and she said, I can't remember who it was because I really should, should um, uh Credit her, but um, it'll come back to me. But she was talking about, it's. she said to me, it's like walking into a dark cave, you know, if you've got a dim torch, so maybe a torch on your head. And while going into the cave, it's it's really scary and um, you don't know what's ahead. But if you take a guide, if you connect with others and you work as a team, that light becomes mm. way brighter and, and you can, you know, uh, it gives you that direction. Oh, that's such a lovely analogy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I can't wait to listen to you, Joe, at the conference. We want people to visit Melbourne, right? We, we do. are open for business. We have the Melbourne pre-COVID buzz back in town. We, we have sure shows do. on. The footy's back. I went to the footy the other day and there were <laughs> 65,000 people there. <laughs> we we're wow. back. So um, hopefully everyone listening, um, you know, Jo is amazing and that's just a little taster of her conference presentations. But we really hope that you look at registering for the conference, which will be held um, from the 22nd to the 25th of May. And you can head to the Speech Pathology Australia website to find all the details about registration. But don't hesitate. We're ready to Please. welcome you. We certainly are. Please come. And Melbourne is everything she always has been. Um, the food, the coffee, the music, the comedy, just it's, you know, we're a little bit biased, hey, Annika, but. We but. are. <laughs> 
I'm a Melbourne girl through and through, but you know. This, um, <laughs> it's, it, is, it is the most wonderful city and um, please know we're, we are very open for business, as Arnika said. <laughs> so don't hesitate. Come and join us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, jo, you are amazing. I just feel so yeah. privileged to have known you many, many years ago, but also <laughs> to have been able to cross paths with you again just recently with the podcast, with your other episode and this one also. You are fantastic and oh, um, thank you, you are such a worthy, worthy person. Too. <laughs> this is about you though <laughs> but you're such a worthy worthy person to uh, to be a keynote speaker and um thank you so much for your time and i really look forward to the conference and sitting down and, and enjoying listening to all your wisdom oh it'll be lots of fun and thank you so much to everyone for tuning in we will be back with another speak up conversation next wednesday thanks joe thank you annika We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.